Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samputasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samputasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samputasa So, you know, usually when we start to um, meditate in the beginning, you know, we have the usual, you know, achiever mind approach to meditation where we think, you know, we have to kind of gain something through the meditation. We have to achieve something. We have to succeed with something. And then, you know, if we keep on going, what starts to dawn on us is, you know, if we are having at least if we have the right guidance is you know that it's actually just the opposite of achieving and gaining it's actually about letting go because you know it's 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 about letting go of uh, ignorance it's, le- it's about letting go of confusion and and the way I you know how ignorance or confusion can be expressed is you know thinking that things uh, in a certain way which they are not. So we are, you know, we are having certain ideas about how, you know, how we are and how the world is and how phenomena are and what this existence is all about. And then through the practice, you know, of really kind of stealing the mind and looking into our experience, we start to realize that, you know, the way how phenomena or the way how things appear is very different from the way they really are. And, and the meditation you know, is basically a skillful means how we can make that um, insight you know, come forth by just simply turning towards our experience and not getting you know, lost in an interpretation of our experience. And the, the teachings, you know, is a set of tools and it's not like a body of knowledge, you know, which tries to tell us what things are, but it's rather a set of tools to enable us to find out for ourselves. Because, you know, when it comes to insight, we have to leave the thinking mind behind. The thinking mind is like a you know, skillful means also which can help us to go that far. You know, it's like a set of pointers which point in a certain direction. Then we have to really look in this direction and not just read the pointer you know, and get lost in that, fantasizing how it would be you know, when you're there, where the pointer points. That would be pointless, really. But it's really about you know, walking in that direction applying that information and then you know the mind needs to kind of give up really in the sense you know that we need to step out of habitual ways of 
meeting experience step out into what Aya Santusika was speaking about today, you know, when she was speaking about a taste of Nibbana, you know, when the thinking mind has stopped and we are not caught up in any of the what's called the five hindrances in the scriptures, when the mind is just wide open and receptive. This is, you know, when the truth reveals itself to us. And that's not a conceptual process. Even, you know, the teachings can help us to have the confidence to meet experience in that way. But then, you know, when, when it comes to it, the mind needs to step aside. And the practice is all about, you know, training ourselves in the capacity to keep the mind open. You know, and allow the truth to reveal itself to us. And, you know, in the Pali canon, the word for wisdom is panya, or in Sanskrit, prajna. And if we translate that word into its two components, it means actually before knowledge. So, you know, before past conditioning sets in, this is this moment, you know, of openness. It's a, it's a moment of uncertainty. This is why we are so uneasy, you know, with... Uh, staying open in this way. And this is where we need so many different instructions and tools and a lot of support, you know, to be able to tolerate that uncertainty. But it's, it's not an uncertainty, you know, which is, a, is, is not a confused uncertainty, but it's an intelligent uncertainty, you know, which is willing, you know, to, to keep open and see what emerges from that. You know, not having a preconceived uh, opinion about what it is. Because that preconceived opinion is always, you know, consisting of past experiences. And, you know, as we all, if we look back over our lives, maybe into, you know, some early childhood scenarios and so on, you know, some of them have been very traumatizing, have had a very strong impact, you know, and still today you know, our characters, our individual characters are arranged around some very early experiences. And, you know, and if those have been particularly difficult or traumatizing, they can be so strong, you know, that they are really uh, creating a lot of suffering. And in some cases, you know, people are not, have not even the capacity, you know, to lead a quote-unquote normal life, not able to look after themselves because some of these impacts were so powerful that they can't really, you know, step out of that. But, you know, everybody who is here today, we, we are reasonably, you know, healthy so we can actually come to a retreat like this and can stand it, you know, to not speak and to, you know, have quite a lot of... Uh, you know, um, limits put on ourselves, you know, so that we can channel the energy towards looking here rather than getting lost out there, you know. And, uh, you know, this turning towards our own experience and stepping out of uh, past conditioning, you know, and allowing 
the truth to speak for itself rather than we are speaking you know for our experience and and interpret it in in ways you know which feel quote unquote intuitively right for us but if we start looking deeper into it it turns out to be just you know a set of conditioning which is you know influenced by which country we come from when we were born you know what gender we were born which you know position we have in the family structure and many many different causes and conditions and you know those together they make up our world and that has of course a lot of value but it's it also has a lot of suffering in it and we need to you know come to the middle with all of this by bringing in uh, the ultimate truth about all of this there's the conventional truth you know which is you know me and my name and my where i'm coming from and my passport my address my education and all of that that is important but it needs to be balanced with the ultimate truth in order you know to take the suffering out of that conventional experience we need ultimate truth to balance out conventional truth and you know there are like two uh, sides of the same coin and you know ultimately it's only one truth it's the way things really are and through you know practicing the noble eightfold path which is you know one way how we can kind of lay out the buddha's teaching we are as i santusika said this morning it's not like a compromise between yes and no or black and white but it's it's a complete different way of being it's not a way you know of kind of a disconnecting or stepping out but it it's a way of uh, you know being fully in the middle of it all without getting lost and uh, this you know noble eightfold path is it consists of three um three main areas the one is um wisdom and then there is um, ethics or wasila and meditation and those three together you know make up this path which we try you know to live as good as we can and through practice it leads you know ever more into the depths of experience and then we you know we have more and more capacity to break through surface appearances because you know the way how we experience the world through our sense organs is um is quite kind of um confusing it because it is not like this for example you know we see an object and it to our sense organs it it appears to be a separate unchanging something but then you know through practice and through 
really going into the depths, what we will find out is that it is not a separate entity. It, it doesn't have a self. It is a process which is constantly changing. And in order you know, to really drive that home, we need to practice. Because it's not that the phenomena themselves, you know, are having an intention to confuse us or, you know, are deceptive or anything like this. But it's our way how we are relating to phenomena. And this is, you know, where we need to start is, you know, to change our own way of looking at experience. And meditation is, is the technology for that, you know. It's a skillful means we can apply in order to break through these confusing ways, you know, how we are relating. And then suffering is the result. So there's conventional truth or relative truth. And then there is ultimate truth. And one way you know how ultimate truth can be expressed is, which you probably all have heard, you know, emptiness or voidness. And that simply means, you know, that all phenomena, the clock, myself and the glass or the bell, they all lack, yeah, lack an unchanging core or a self. They are void of self, or that they are empty of self, or not self. This is also often expressed, especially in the Theravada tradition. And it's, you know, this is a, a truth which, if it is really deeply seen, it's, it's very liberating. Because we start to, to realize, you know, that. This process, you know, which we are a part of, has its own intelligence and has its own way of being. And through practicing and through, you know, practicing the Noble Eightfold Path, we can align ourselves with that. And through aligning ourselves, our suffering, you know, will become less and less. And that's why we are practicing. You know, to align ourselves with reality and to have less and less friction in our lives because of that. And there's a, a saying from Bhante Kunaratana, which I like very much, you know, escaping into reality rather than from it. Because people sometimes think, you know, people who meditate and who kind of, you know, like to look inside themselves, they are wanting to escape from that which is really important, wanting to escape, you know, from the world. But this is actually the most effective escape route is actually by escaping into reality, which we can, you know, become familiar with by really looking into our own experience. And... Uh, I have brought a quote you know, from the Buddha, which is from the, is from the Samyutta Nikaya, one of the four collections in the Pali Canon. And he says to a monk who is called, I think he is a monk, Kachayana is his name. 
And he says that things exist, O Kachayana, is one extreme of view. That things do not exist is another. Rejecting both these extremes, the Tathagata, which is the Buddha, points out the Dhamma via the middle. <coughs> so, you know, saying that, that this bell does not exist, we can't say that because it's here, we can all see it, you know. But that it is that it is existing in the sense that it does not change at all and that, that it would have a self, we, can, we can't say that either. Because, you know, if in, a, let's say, maybe in 50,000 years, if we look at the bell, it will look different. But because that process is so slow in, in terms of how our sense organs, you know, can perceive it, this is why it's, it's a truth which escapes us if we don't really you know, focus on it. So the bell, just like my own body or anything else here, or all of your bodies, you know, we can't say that they don't exist because we can see them, you know, we can feel them, we can smell them, we can taste them. With our sense organs, we definitely, you know, cannot say that they don't exist. But, you know, as you have seen, you know, since you are born, this body of yours and this body of mine has changed a great deal. So you can't also say, you know, that it does exist always in the same way. Existing means, you know, that it is an unchanging thing which is always the same. You know, when we were born, it was maybe like that size. And then, now it's much bigger and we can speak and, and all the things have changed. So it does exist, but it doesn't exist as an unchanging entity. And, you know, when we really, you know, turn our minds towards that and really kind of investigate, then this is, a, you know, a truth which becomes apparent. But we have to, you know, we have to make an effort. We have to have an intention. We have to want to know this. And, you know, just hearing it, you know, from me or maybe reading in a book is not enough. We really need to consistently, repeatedly, again and again, look at it. And then over time, you know, through uh, applying our minds in this way, this kind of truth of, you know, for example, of the emptiness of self or not-self, it starts to kind of you know, it starts to kind of come through the, through the appearance, through the, surf, through the surface. It's, 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 over time, it slowly, slowly sinks in, you know, and becomes part of the way how we live and how we are in the world. And, you know, it changes us. And this is what is meant with, you know, the middle way, to be in the middle of it all and to be changed through that, you know. All of those ignorant, confused ways of uh, thinking about the world, through experiencing it in our own body and mind, we are changed. So the middle way is not like a compromise, you know, between yes and no, or, you know, black and white, like a gray compromise, it is just, 
you know, putting yourself into the middle of your experience and not escaping into thinking about this and thinking about that, but just being fully there and being affected, you know, being so deeply affected by it that all of those um, unrealistic, you know, thinking about experience gets kind of peeled away, gets purified, so to say, you know. The mind gets purified. And certain, you know, certain ideas, certain thoughts about how the way things are, we just can't anymore fall for those, you know, because we know through our own experience. And that's what the meditation is here for, you know, to, to give us a framework so we stay with it, you know, because it's so, so seductive, you know, to not be with the experience, especially when it is unpleasant, you know, when it's this uncertainty of just being with an open mind, it's, it's not so easy to tolerate that, you know, for an untrained mind. We need to train the mind to be able to stay still long enough so that it can see. You know, and uh, the conventional truth, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to see, but the ultimate truth for that, you know, we need to develop that uh, resilience, you know, so that we can, a- so that we are able to, to just be here and let it come through. And then, you know, through that we bringing the conventional and the ultimate truth together in our own being. And then the way how we relate to experience, you know, is increasingly more open, you know, and less, uh, you know, less trying to keep things at arm length because we are afraid of unpleasant feeling, simply speaking, you know, and we just need a lot of support in order to... um, have it, you know, how we think it has to be in order that we, um, you know, that we don't have to question our our opinions, really. And um, you know, if we start to, you know, go into the depths of this process, then we we really start to realize, you know, that we have, uh, to some extent, we are are responsible for what we perceive because it has a lot to do, you know, with the um, conditioning of our mind. Like you were saying also today, you know, about if you're interested to uh, buy a Prius, if you go into town, you see Priuses everywhere for example. So it has a lot to do, you know, with, with your intentions, with your, what, what you value, you know, how you see the world. And, you know, and if, if what you value the most is your personal pleasant feelings, then, you know, it's not necessarily a very realistic way of uh, living in the world because there's so many other people and many other beings, you know, and they also uh, don't want to have unpleasant feeling. So if just thinking like this, you know, um, just opens up everything. 
And in that opening, you know, if we're not used to it, we feel uh, uneasy with that. There's like this uncertainty about what is about me, you know, how, how it's going to be in a minute or in a year or in 10 years. And I'm sure you know you know how that feels. And you know, when we have this uh, taste of Nibbana, we can only you know really stay open like this if, if at the same time we can tolerate this uh, uneasy feeling of uncertainty. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very vulnerable feeling in one way, but at the same time it's also like a vast opening. It's like an acquired taste. You know, in the beginning it's like, you think, what's that all about? I mean, if, it, if the whole practice is all about this kind of a thing, pff, I better, you know, kind of stop. <laughs> but it's, it's an acquired taste, you know, the more often you can have an experience like this, it, it starts to... Um, you know, it starts to reveal its true nature to us. It, and it's a, it's a mystery because it's, it's a very... One can't speak about it, one can't describe it, one can only experience it individually you know, in, in one's own practice. And through coming back to it again and again, through recognizing it and making much of it, how it's written in the scriptures, you know, making much of that experience, it starts to speak, you know, without words. And, you know, everybody can understand it because it's not, you don't need the thinking mind for it. It speaks directly to the heart, you know, and if we sometimes you know, have an opportunity to meet, you know, people who are realized, we, we intuitively kind of know. Even it's very hard, you know, to put your finger on it and say what it is, because it is, it is not a thing. It's, a, it's more like an opening into the mystery, into the depths of the way things really are. And also, you know, it's not a, a truth, you know, which the scriptures or the teachers or anybody, you know, try to confirm. But it's more like in the practice we see, you know, we become more, more and more aware how we are limiting ourselves, you know, through being so deeply wedded, you know, to, to a dualistic way of interpreting our experience into wanting and not wanting and good and bad and pleasant and unpleasant and all of that. That is a way, you know, which keeps us really stuck in a very limited, small life and small world, you know. 
But if we can, you know, get, um, have the courage, you know, to open the mind and familiarize ourselves with this uncertainty, with this kind of wide open way of meeting experience, then uh, something else, you know, comes through and it, it's through repetition, you know, it, it becomes a stronger and stronger refuge. And, you know, and this is what it means, you know, to take refuge in the Buddha. Which it means, you know, take refuge in this capacity for being aware without needing to go into concepts about it. And when we bow, you know, when we bow to the Buddha on the shrine, is bowing to this capacity you all have. And we can, you know, familiarize ourselves with it again and again through practicing in this way. Not believing, you know, what the mind says and just coming back to the experience how it is right now. And then again, you know, we get sucked into thinking and then as soon as you're noticing it, letting go and coming back to the experience. And that's what the practice is all about, you know, a million times or countless times, again and again and again and again. And through doing it in this way, it becomes easier and easier. So it's, it's, it's a very simple, you know, practice. It's just a, as soon as you notice that you are lost in the thinking mind, you just drop it in like a hot potato and come back directly what you're experiencing right now, which is you're just sitting here. There's nothing happening else, nothing else happening. And it's so simple, it's so kind of nothing special. This is why it's not easy to do. Because the mind, you know, is very interested in, in special things and intense things and colorful things, loud things, glittery things and all of that. And, you know, we need to know that. We need to know how the mind works and then through getting to know it, more and more we are less and less, you know, identified with it. And that's the practice, to just not stop looking. And then it starts to reveal itself to us. And things, you know, which were very fascinating at a certain time, they just kind of, they lose their, their glamour for us. You know, like you had maybe a toy when you were three years old. Today it's maybe nice, you know, to look at it, but you're not fascinated by it anymore because it has lost it has lost that for you because you have grown out of it, you know. And the practice is the same, just growing out of it. By, not by suppressing it or you know, turning away from it, but fully turning towards it and then really kind of seeing it for what it is. And then it just drops away, you know, like a shell. And it's just gone. It's not going to come back. And it's, it is a process like that, going deeper and deeper into reality, really. And then, you know, we still can enjoy beautiful appearances, but we are not dependent on them to stay beautiful forever because we know 
This is impossible. And we are just, you know, enjoying it when it's here and when it's not here, we just be with what is. Because we know it's going to change. And this is, you know, how we can inform our conventional experience with ultimate truth and through that suffering becomes less and less. Because we are in, you know, in a, we live in agreement with the way things really are. You know, and the key to all of this is how we relate to the experience and the teachings, you know, and the, especially the meditation instructions. It, it's, a, it's a set of tools which tells us, you know, what is the most effective way of relating to experience. If you don't want to suffer, the most effective way of relating to experience is to really look into it. And you have to really face it square on, you know, because then that's the quickest way how you can weed out, you know, what is true and what isn't. And the more clarity, you know, we, we have through this process, which is sometimes called purification process, then, you know, the suffering diminishes accordingly. And, you know, a fully enlightened being still experiences unpleasant feeling, you know, and can get sick and is hungry and will get old and will die, but will not suffer. Will have unpleasant feeling, but will not suffer because it's he, he or she is okay with unpleasant feeling. And, you know, this kind of a resilience is what we'd like to develop you know, through practicing meditation. And a retreat like this, you know, is a, is a very good opportunity to really, you know, open to whatever is happening because there's not much, you know, you have to do. We have a little yogi job maybe for 50 minutes. But, and even that, you know, you, you can, of course, use for your practice. So really, any waking moment you can use for practice and you know, notice when you are recoiling from experience and just remembering, you know, if you're recoiling from any experience, that means, you know, that you need to turn towards it because there's something you haven't quite understood. So, you know, whenever you feel this, uh, you know, knee-jerk reaction of wanting to not be there or wanting to eat something, wanting to do something different, just to not be with the experience, that's like a waking up call. And then looking underneath, what is it? Is there some fear there? Is there some aversion there? And then just, okay, there's nothing wrong with that, but just noticing it. So escaping into reality rather than from it.
that's the quickest way really, quickest way out of suffering. So I wish you a good evening and you know if you'd like to sit longer you're very welcome to stay in the hall even until tomorrow morning when we show up here at 5.30 it's open for the whole night if you like. And uh, we're going to end with a chant. Mm-hmm. Um, is the, on page 31, the five subjects for frequent recollection. Handamayanga binya bachave kanapatang banama se Charanananatita. I am of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. Bayaditamo me bayading anatita. I am of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. Maranatamo me maranananatita. I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. Sapehime piehi manapehi nanapavo vinapavo. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. Kama sakami kama dayada kama yoni kama pandu kama patisarana yang kama karisami kalayanangwa papakangwa tasadayada pavisami I am the owner of my kama, heir to my kama, born of my kama, related to my kama, abide supported by my kama. Whatever kama I shall do, for good or for real, of that I will be the heir. Evang ang hehiya binhang pachawe kitapang. Thus we should frequently recollect.
Supatipano Bhagavato Savaka Sangho Sangang Ramami Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.